Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, June 1st, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to have this hour with you to give you unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. And today I want to really start off with going back to the basics. Um, there's one thing that I have trouble with doing this show, um, thinking about markets, uh, and that is frankly, assuming a lot of people know things that I kind of take for granted, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years and there are some basics that I assume everyone knows. But oftentimes, people aren't, haven't internalized it the same way that most uh, professional investors like, like myself do. And that really goes back to when you're investing in stocks or bonds, you're tying yourself typically to a company. Right now, obviously, there's municipals and treasury bonds, etc. But the vast majority of everyone's portfolios are linked up with a particular company. And in the craze of the, you know, the meme stop craze, the or meme stock, there you go, and GameStop craze, there you go, um, of the past couple of years, uh, and just rampant speculation in the market. The markets were kind of treated like a casino. Um, and people didn't see their ownership of a stock as ownership in a business. And that's ultimately what you're doing. You're investing in businesses. I know it's hard to really understand that when you're seeing the veneer of your brokerage statements or uh, the, the the stats you see on a on a page on a research page. 
But at the end of the day, you are, you're, 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 the value of the company is going to ebb and flow over time with the success of the business. And I know near term liquidity conditions can certainly drive prices over the short term. But in a world where inflation is going to be trending above what we're used to, it's a world where we return to the fundamentals of the business. Now, I'm a big basketball guy. I played basketball high school, a little bit in college, and uh, I, I love the game, uh, but, and I've been following the NBA since I was a kid. Uh, and there's different eras of the NBA from, you know, the Magic and Bird era of the 90s, the Jordan era of the night of uh, sorry, Magic and Bird of, of the 80s, Jordan era of the 90s. Uh, and then you have kind of the Shaq and, and, and Kobe uh, era of the early 2000s. Um, and then you have the kind of Tim Duncan era of the mid 2000s. And then as you get into um, 2014, as we enter the NBA finals here on Thursday, uh, that was kind of Steph Curry, right? Kind of changed, ushered in a new era of shooting threes and kind of the analytics era of the game. And so, you know, when Shaq came along, it was all about the big man and everyone drafted big men and, and it was dominated by the thought process of how do we, how do we get a big man who can dominate like Shaq? Well, Shaq was kind of an anomaly. And when Curry came in the game, he's certainly an anomaly as well, but it highlighted the three-point shot, the, the statistical nature of it, about how you outscore the other team, because that's really the fundamentals of the game. You want to outscore the other team. And I think of this new era kind of similar to that, where it really doesn't matter how you have earnings or cash flows or dividends. It's a matter of, is that sustainable? And is that going to be yeah, sustainable? That's really the end of the end of the, the story there. And it's not about, oh, it's got to be a disruptive company and, and having the next great software or AI or you know electric vehicles or or any anything that, that excites the senses. It doesn't matter. As a matter, can you succeed in this environment by delivering cash flows, earnings, and dividends to shareholders? Regardless of the sector. Because that's what this new era requires. And the post-financial crisis era from 2008 until really middle of last year, that was its own era. And in that era, didn't really matter. It was just about the excitement of the story more than anything. And so I always want to try to give you a sense of what this particular market requires. Just like in the NBA today, what's required is being able to shoot, being able to understand the analytics, the good shot, 
that will drive the best points per possession, et cetera, that will give you the best chance to win at the end of the game. And that's what we're trying to do here is giving, give you the best chance to win. Give you the tools. And so that's what my mission statement, or I'm going to operate with my mission statement as always, which is independent thinking and shared success. So no matter what market process I'm talking about, a particular uh, sector, a strategy, I'm here to present all without bias and give you the facts as I see them. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And that means you get to shape this show to your liking. And you can interact with me right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or you can leave a question on our Invest Talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. So we're going to move into a break, but I'm ready for your questions now. Any topic concerning stocks, finance, investments, real estate, give me a call. This is Invest Talk, 888 chart. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, guys. This is Matt from Florida. I absolutely love the show. Good to see what you guys think of Stellantis, ticker S. TLA. Low PE pays a 7.5% dividend. They appear to be growing very rapidly. They do have some debt. However, their assets surpass the debt. It appears to be trading at a discount. I'm just curious to hear what you guys think of it. Thank you. All right. Looking at Stellantis. And this was, was it's kind of the, the old, what, Chrysler, Peugeot Chrysler? I forgot the, the old name. Uh, but those are those are the brands, still the same brands. You're talking about, um, where are we? Yeah, Fiat Chrysler. There we go. It's Fiat Chrysler. And so we're looking at Jeep, Fiat, Dodge, Alfa Romeo, Maserati, etc. Those are the brands under its umbrella. And they've certainly turned uh, a nice profit over the last couple of years as Car prices have gone kind of through the roof, and they're able to extract higher margins out of their dealerships, and and they're in demand now. They've been kind of constrained overall of how much they could produce, um, but you're right. There is a lot of debt here, 
Um, uh, but I think they're just really over earning. Uh, and I don't like to own these type of businesses. The auto business is extremely cyclical. And if you look at the history of profits, they're very up and down. Uh, and now we're in an up phase, even though, uh, and then, and then we're starting to see that stall out here. They're in $3.06 in 2018, $1.45 in 2020, $4.95 last year. This year, expected to be $4.73, so down 4%. So you're starting to see that already stall out even last quarter. Earnings were down 3% year over year. And I think that 7.4% dividend yield is probably unsustainable. It's probably what you're looking at as well. So uh, the chart is certainly in a downtrend and it's starting to underperform the S&P uh, when it's been, you know, kind of been an outperformer for uh, since 2000 and call it 16. Um, and it's been a downtrend since. So I, I just don't see this as super cheap because of the cyclicality of the business. And you really need to understand that when you're looking at earnings is how consistent is the business, how consistent are cash flows. And if they're, they tend to be very volatile and we're near a peak, you want to be very skeptical that they can maintain that because historically earnings are mean reverting. And in this case, I think so as well. So I'm passing on Stellantis. Now my focus point today is based on the story on this headline, home prices surged more than 20% in March. And you're going to say, what? Housing prices are up? This is a perfect, I really want to highlight this. It's, it's a great one because it shows you that you have to really understand what you're looking at when you are seeing headlines, uh, economic headlines. Sometimes they are leading indicators. Sometimes they are coincident and sometimes they are lagging. And this is the epitome of a lagging indicator. It is by no means anything that you should consider a good sense of what the housing market is doing. And I'm going to explain why that is. Okay. So we're going to look at that story. Also, are there starting to be bargains in the market, especially in the small cap space? Let's take a look at that. And then Food prices, where are they headed and what are the challenges ahead globally for potential, you know, date with famine in parts of the world? We're already seeing it a little bit in, in, in certain areas that are creating social unrest. Uh, and we're going to look at that story as well. And then lastly, we're going to look at rates, global rates around the world and how that's moving currency markets and how that could impact your investments overall. So that's what I want to talk about today. But let's take a look at the market. The S&P was down 31 points, about two thirds of 1% here. And it was just a really a continued back uh, backfilling of the move higher on Friday to close the week. Yesterday was kind of a pause day in markets. And today was slight pullback, the NYC, that was down 117 points, about same thing, about two thirds of 1%. But we closed above Friday's lows. And that's really what I'm looking at is how does the market digest uh, going up into a bit of resistance here? 
but continued to maintain the, the near-term uptrend. And that's kind of what I expect probably till about mid-month uh, is choppy upward movement in the markets. Uh, a lot will a lot will change uh, as the, the, the month goes on when it comes to QT and more pulling of liquidity out of the markets by the Fed. So uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm feeling for the next couple of weeks. Now, we're heading into a break. And I'm ready for your calls. I want to know what's on your mind. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, so get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Go to Alberto in San Jose looking at Yum Brands. You own it or looking to buy it? Hello. Uh, thank you for your, for taking my call. I'm looking to buy it. Um, I know the market's been down the last couple of weeks. I'm uh, thinking if it's a good time to buy. Okay. Uh, well, Yum Brands is a U.S. portfolio of four brands, KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and The Habit Burger. And... They have $58 billion in system-wide sales last year. It's the second largest restaurant company in the world behind McDonald's. And the good thing about Yum! Brands is that they are 98% franchised. And that's a good thing. That means that the vast majority of their business is simply franchise fees. And so inflation doesn't hurt them nearly as much as the companies that own the stores that they operate. So that's one thing I really like about Yum! Brands. And that's why you haven't really seen a major sell-off in this. It's only down about 14% from its 52-week high. And it yields about 2%. The issue here, though, with Yum! Brands is the valuation. Uh, current enterprise value is about 19. Now I'm down to pay a premium for something like this, but historically, you know, this is kind of on uh, over the last five years, it's average uh, on its cheapness, but back 2014, 15 timeframe, it was trading more like 10 times. Uh, so it definitely had a step change higher in the last five years. The question is, is that justified? And so I would say it's not cheap. It's not crazy expensive, um, but it's one of those kind of consumer staples that aren't going to be hurt by higher inflation. And so that's why I like it longer term. Its profitability is consistent. Its uh, return on assets is consistent and its balance sheet is solid. So it's a very good company. It's not cheap but it's also not prone to a lot of the headwinds that many companies are dealing with right now with inflation. So um, overall, I give it you know kind of an, an okay grade in this market. Thanks for the call. Now my focus point today is based on this headline. Home prices surged more than 20% in March. And that's the headline. But there's something you have to understand about this. This is one of those ones that everyone talks about and everyone's interested in because most people own homes 
and it's vital to the economy as a whole. And it's always kind of a good proxy, uh, people feel like, for what's happening in the economy. And so the S&P Core Logic Case Shiller Home in Index is very widely followed. And it was up 20.6 in March year over year. Now that's up from 20% in February. But one thing you have to understand about this index is that it is a three month running average, meaning that the March number encompasses all the homes that were closed in January, February and March. What does that also mean? Most of these homes that were actually closed in those months opened their escrow in November, you know, October, November, and December, when mortgage rates were still kind of sub 3%. So newsflash, this is June. <laughs> this is June. So this is the ultimate lagging indicator. It literally should tell you nothing about the state of the housing market today. Nothing. Now, there's some kind of interesting data points underneath the surface that can be kind of instructive. One is Phoenix slipped from the top gainer in the first three months uh, to Tampa, Florida took over the lead. So Phoenix show was already showing a little bit of weakness over those first three months of the year. And that's kind of accelerated here over the past few months from what I'm hearing as well. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, an indicator, uh, that Arizona Phoenix in particular, uh, is weakening more than places like Florida where people are continuing to move to, as they retire, a lot of baby boomers, a lot of people moving out of the Northeast, uh, et cetera. Now, 17 of the 20 cities reported higher price increases in the year ending March versus February. So had accelerating uh, appreciation in March. Uh, and so the three that were the least, the, the weakest, Chicago, Washington, and Minneapolis, those still had, those are the smallest price gains overall of the top 20 in the United States. And we know that more supply is coming on market um, now, one thing I, I, I want to caution, though, is people calling for a housing crash. I don't think that we're going to a housing crash. It's going to take a while for inventory to rise to those levels. Um, now, there's a lot of new home sales in the pipeline, uh, but those are moving along slowly because of supply chain issues, uh, etc. So I want you to not look at these numbers for how strong the housing market is, because they're so old. Uh, but then also, don't glean from my comments that we're headed for a housing crash. We're just headed for a quick and sudden cooling of the market. Now, the next best talk, the story behind this scenario, when everything declines at once, it is worth noting that past correlations can be considered a hazardous guide for the future. For now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? 
Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Go to Nick in Los Angeles looking at IIPR, Innovative Industrial Properties. You own it or looking to buy it? Hey, Justin. Yeah, I've got a full position already. Um, I've initiated it down after this recent crash in the share price. Um, it's got a pretty, it's got around a 5% dividend yield and a strong compound annual growth rate of the dividend payments. Uh, they raise it, you know, pretty much every quarter, as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the company is basically a REIT, you know, a landlord to large cannabis uh, producing warehouses. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a recent short report sort of calling them a marijuana bank and making that seem like that was a bad thing. But I was thinking, on the contrary, uh, because banks are federally prohibited from lending to them, that means there's less competition and therefore probably higher lending margins for companies like IIPR that fill the gap. What do you think about this thesis? And uh, do you think it's worth buying right now? Thanks. Yeah, we actually uh, recently picked it up for uh, new clients as well. Uh, we've owned it for a while, and we, we really like it, and we agree uh, that there there are certainly risks of uh, more federally acceptable uh, rules or federal rules that will make cannabis accepted at more banks or cannabis businesses accepted at more banks, things like that. 
Um, but I think the negative that that could potentially create uh, is outweighed by the positive. What IAPR still ha still helps uh, these these facilities deal with are local regulations, which they have a strong grasp on. Right, they're the ones that are going out and getting these uh, facilities approved and then renting them out, um, and therefore. You know they they understand local laws and whether that's nationally uh, accepted or not or not, uh, they're still going to need to be a strong expertise of companies that can go in get things uh, approved with local uh, municipalities and have them up and operating, uh, and they're still going to be able to grow doing things like that and uh, extract uh, outsized rents compared to a lot of REITs. So. Uh, still a fan of IIPR, especially after this pullback. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on small caps. And this is IPR would be considered a, a small cap, about $3.6 billion market cap on that one. Uh, and so what's happened is small caps are down about 24% from their November high. And there's a couple of lessons you can take from this. Now they did a peak before the S&P and with S&P kind of peaked out in January, the NASDAQ that peaked out really along with actually, what was that? What was the date on this? Yeah, late November. So NASDAQ and small caps peaked out right around the same time. And that's usually the case. They're usually leading indicators, both up and down. And the S&P over same time is down about 12%. Whereas the, like I said, the Russell is down about 24% from its high. And we know that small cap stocks are generally considered riskier. Their profits ebb and flow more. They're more tied to the economic cycle, more cyclical, right? Large kind of non-cyclical utilities and, uh, and, Consumer staple companies, those tend to be in mid cap, large cap type of names or small caps. There's not a lot of those. And so it's natural that they become more volatile over time. But what's happened now is the gap between large cap and small cap valuation is near the widest it's been really since 2001, 2001. Now the, the Russell 2000 trades at the end of April at 12 and a half times projected earnings over the next 12 months. That's below the average since 1985, about 15.4. And it puts the small cap benchmark at its cheapest relative to large cap Russell 1000 since 2001. Now small caps historically struggle as you go into uh, a slowing economy, but they outperform in the early stages of as we come out. So this is kind of a lesson here for you guys is to always follow this, always follow how small caps are performing in relation to large caps. And that will help give you a guide to where we are in the economic cycle, whether we're accelerating positively or decelerating negatively. And sometimes that's not necessarily recession, but just once again, deceleration of the economy. But there's also as a second lesson is that this is the time where you want to be hunting for those small caps 
and be ready because you don't want to be you don't want to be too late to the game to where we're already out of the economic slowdown and small caps are accelerating and you've missed the first because they move fast the first 20 30 percent move you want to be gathering your buy list finding out for or, or doing correlation analysis seeing when particular names that you like that are in the small cap space which have the best long-term risk versus reward especially in times like this where their valuations are depressed and you want to be waiting and being ready say okay this one's starting to outperform it broke above certain key resistance levels it's starting to outperform the broader indices whether it's the s p or the russell and be ready to pounce and that inflection point is really where you can make huge returns not necessarily today because economy is still slowing but Remember, the equity market's going to tell you far before you're going to see the, in the economic figures that hit the headlines. So you need to be watching, and that's what we do. We watch the market and see how correlations are evolving and see what is outperforming, what is underperforming. And the idea is you want to be in things that continue to outperform. And ideally, things that are just beginning to outperform and have a long leg of time until they underperform again. Okay, so you don't want to be late to the game where they've been outperforming for too long and now their valuations are too high and things are turning, markets turning, etc. It's about that finding that right inflection point. And now is the time that you get that buy list ready. Now, let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier. By the way, if you've never called, why not try it now? The phone lines never close. It's 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Steve out of South Carolina, Charleston area. I was just calling about a couple of bond-type, high-yield, corporate debt-earning stocks. I got some tickers, HYLB, HYT, and ANGL. We got uh, a Fallen Angels by uh, ANGL. You got the uh, BlackRock, HYT, high-yield corporate debt. And the same thing with HYLB, which is a Vanguard-based company. I just want to get some insight, break down some numbers. I know they're dropping pretty heavily because of bonds and everything, but I just feel like it might be a good time to scoop up some dividend yield. They all pay monthly. Let me know what y'all think. I love some insight. Y'all are awesome. Keep it rocking, y'all. Uh, I really appreciate what y'all do every day. All right, looking at three high-yield bond funds, and two are ETFs, and one is a closed-end fund. And the closed-end fund, which is the BlackRock High Yield HYT, that one has leverage to it. So 33% leverage. And that's how you're getting the dividend yield rate of about 9%. But that's also why it's declined from a high of 22.5 or so back in October to a low of $9.60 just a couple weeks ago. So down to over 25% in six months. So you're going to get exacerbated moves both ways. And if you look at the portfolio overall of HYT, the average credit quality is B. It's pretty low. Junky, very junky. 43% of the portfolio is B, about 16% below B, 31% double B, and only 4% in triple B. 
So it's a very junky portfolio. How much, the big question is how much of that corporate debt is energy related? I think that would be a, a big question for me. And it looks like the maturity, let's see the maturity schedule. Yeah, it kind of stays relatively short term between three and 10 years, which is you know not terrible. Uh, but it's not the one that I would own simply because I just don't like that leverage leverage in something that is so uh, that that can be so volatile, especially in bad economic times. So that's number one. And then the let's look at the other ones. You have the high yield, the extractors, U.S. dollar high yield corporate debt ETF. That one has about a 4.8% dividend. And then the ANGL, that has about a 4.25% dividend. Uh, let's see, which one has the higher expense ratio? Yeah, the Fallen Angels has the higher expense ratio. But it also has the better longer term return here. Um, let me see here. Average credit quality double B minus for Fallen Angels. Versus, let's pull this up here, yeah, about the same. But the effective duration is longer on ANGL. So I would rather go shorter term. I'm going to go with the lower fee, which is HYLB, and the shorter term duration. So if I'm picking one of these three, it'd be HYLB. Quick analysis there. Now, summer is almost here. Just about two and a half weeks away. And I don't know if you know this, but summer is typically the most volatile time in markets. And I know everyone wants uh, their own little mental getaway. But in volatile times, you have to pay attention. And that means having peace of mind of knowing your portfolio is in good hands, whether that's yourself or someone else, and that it's allocated properly. So I think it's time to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California. It's where we practice parallel investing and we practice or we, we provide guidance, unbiased guidance, both on and off air. And parallel investing is when we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office in Irvine at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Next up, we will play another caller question, so hang on. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hey guys, this is Mike from Texas. I started listening to your podcast a few weeks ago and really enjoy listening to your podcast and all the free content. I'm looking at an entry point for the buckle, ticker symbol BKE. I'm a new investor and just kind of looking at a good entry point. It's been down about 12% over the last month, 46 months over the last six months. Currently at about $27 a share and just curious if this is a good entry point. I appreciate all of your knowledge and guidance throughout the podcast and keep up the great work. All right, looking at a buckle incorporated and 
since your call, it's up nicely. It's now at $32 and change. It's about flat over the past couple of months. And that's pretty nice, especially when the market's been down pretty substantially over that time. And this yields about 4.2%. And this is actually a name that we own in our cover call strategy. Equity Income Plus uh, gets a lot of nice premiums on those calls. And the business is doing very, very well. They have free trailing 12-month free cash flow of nearly $300 million, And it's about a $1.6 billion market cap. So that's a huge, that's almost a 20% free cash flow yield. We love, love, love that. And then if you look historically, its return on assets tends to average the last decade about 20% per year, maybe a little higher actually. And then return on equity, 45, 50% over that time. So it's just business. It's not exciting. It's not a huge grower but it consistently produces strong cash flows. It pays special dividends often to shareholders, which we really like as well. It can be random, but it pays a consistent dividend. Uh, and that's why we like it. And it's starting to outperform. If you look at it in relation to what the S&P is doing, it's now in an uptrend um, over the past couple of months. So we like that along with the dividend. I'm gonna give Buckle a thumbs up because we own it for clients. Thanks for the call. That was BKE Buckle. Now I want to make you aware of our newsletter. I know our newsletter is something we don't talk about a whole lot, but these are these are type of companies that Buckle, for example, that we put in our newsletter and our stock ideas. Um, these are stock ideas; they're not recommendations. But these are uh, this is where we show our subscribers a lot of companies that are at least on our watch list. And having a good watch list is very important. It's important to take action when trends are shifting. Uh, you know, we've talked before about how you want to be overweight and underweight certain sectors, depending on the economic backdrop. And so if you are entering maybe a cyclical upturn and you want to be in more in retailers like Buckle, for example, uh, maybe you want to be over, you want you want to have those type of names that are going to do well in that environment. Uh, maybe you want industrials. You need to have those names ready. Okay, uh, and our newsletter certainly helps with that. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here: is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hey, this is Rory out of Virginia. Just wanted to say I'm a big fan of the show. Really do appreciate all the insight you guys offer. My question today is in regards to why do some foreign companies offer two stock listings on the exchange? It is a common theme I started to notice as I continued to do my research. An example being is Schneider Electric. 
their two stock symbols are SBGSF and SBGSY. As I continue to do my research, is there one better than the other? I noticed that one stock symbol is significantly higher than the other. Just trying to figure out what would be the better investment in the long run. Thank you and look forward to hearing the answer on the show. Bye. All right. This is a great question. And there are a couple of reasons why there might be different stock symbols for um for these ADRs. That's what really what it really is. Uh, now, it could be two things. It could be they're listed on, they are ADRs for the listing on different exchanges, meaning one company can have listings on multiple exchanges. For example, think of all the uh, Chinese companies that are listed on our exchange, not as an ADR, but as an actual company on our exchange as well as they have listings on the Hong Kong exchange and um, the mainland uh, Chinese exchange, etc. So it could be representing shares on different exchanges. Could also be representing different share classes that companies have issuance. Think of Google and GOOG and GOOGL, two different share classes. Okay. So, the, and then it could mean different uh, ratio of the per, you know, per US ADR versus how much ownership you're actually getting in the business. That can change as well, it can be different. Uh, so Schneider, I have to look into that. Why are they different? What's the differences in their, uh, their ADR that you're looking at? But there can be multiple reasons why there are multiple share ADRs uh, listed on our exchange. Hope that helps. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, I want to touch on something global and that are global rates. And there's starting to become a wide gulf in the difference between interest rate policy around the world from Western banks or Western central banks, excuse me, and Asian central banks mainly. Now, here in the US, as well as in Europe, the idea is to raise rates to kind of choke off some inflation. But in Asia, Chinese lenders are cutting mortgage interest rates, for example, the Bank of Japan has vowed to keep yields at zero by buying bonds, basically yield curve control. Whereas here in the US, the US Federal Reserve saying that they want neutral rate to be about two to 3%. So to get that there relatively quickly, the Bank of England looking for about one and a quarter to two and a half somewhere in there, they're trying to get to and the Eurozone trying to get between one and 2%, even though they're still negative, and they're just going to start to raise rates here in July. Now, the Fed is trying to play this delicate game. And they've even talked about having restrictive policy to to if the if inflation provide, proves to be stickier than they, what they expected. And so far, there it has, especially since their transitory wording back in the fall of last year. Now, in Europe, the fear is that this will widen the gap between Germany's borrowing costs and those of sovereign debts like Italy. Remember the pigs? 
Portugal, Italy, Greece, Ireland. And the worry is that raising rates is going to create economic disruption in those countries and raise their borrowing costs beyond that of Germany's. And so that's their biggest worry. But what's happening here is overall, this is strengthening the dollar because we're the ones having the highest interest rate. And so that creates capital flight towards our markets, towards assets here in the US and away from places like China that are keeping rates low. And that could potentially create economic fireworks, especially if that happens quickly and it becomes too large. Think of what's happening between us and Japan and what's happening with the yen. So the yen is kind of a little precursor to what could happen more broadly. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we officially exceeded 42 million last night, thanks to you. So get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.